0: Welcome to Crime Conversations, the true crime podcast brought to you by CrimeCon UK, the ultimate true crime weekend. In the lead up to CrimeCon in London on September 25th and 26th, each week we're bringing two of our favourite podcasts together to find out more about their fascination with true crime. Each conversation will explore subjects including how they got involved in true crime, the cases that have stuck in their mind, the process behind their podcast and what they think makes a great true crime show. We'd also like to say a big thank you to all those true crime fans who sent questions to ask our guests. To find out who we'll be featuring on the podcast across the season and for more information on our London event, check crimecon.co.uk. Or visit our Instagram page at crimecon underscore UK. Let's find out who's on this episode. Hi, I'm Alicia, the co-host of Murder in the Rain. And I'm Emily, the other
1: co-host of Murder in the Rain. Our show focuses on crimes in the Pacific Northwest. From
0: serial killers to obscure cases you may never hear about, we cover it all. Hi,
2: I'm Caprice, and I'm the host of The Unseen Podcast, which is a UK true crime podcast focused on telling the stories of missing people, unsolved murders, and unresolved cases. The Unseen is dedicated to shining a light on cases that don't get the main media attention and giving victims the respect that they deserve.
1: I have to ask you, you know, a lot of us true crime podcasters have a moment in our life that kind of flipped that switch on to like true crime. Do you have a memory of what triggered your interest in it?
2: Um, well, I think I've always been interested because my in, in my family, it's quite a true is quite a big thing they're all quite into it um, so when i was growing up i spent a lot of time during the holidays with my nan and she used to always have things on like murder she wrote columbo and for me it started off as like an interesting mysteries and that kind of thing and as i grew up it kind of obviously turned into an interesting true crime and you know the way that crimes are solved and the forensics and all that kind of thing so For me, I think it started quite young as more of an interest in mysteries, which I think is why I was attracted to talking about unsolved crimes on the podcast. Because for me, it's that kind of mystery element that you really, really might be the one to
1: solve something. What was it for you? Very similar. My, you know, my family always watched Murder Mysteries. Um, But as a child, I was very outgoing. I would talk to just about anyone, tell them my life story. And around age seven, uh, the Jacob Wetterling case kind of went, you know, worldwide that this child went missing. And he was only four years older than me. So it was very much a time where I realized you couldn't trust adults you know, all adults and that you really should have some level of suspicion on the people you meet. And then it was just, you know, downhill from there. I love true crime. My, my mom's super into serial killers as well. And then in college, I had planned to be a medical examiner. I really wanted to do that. So I got a degree in anthropology. And before I ended up trying to get into grad school, you know, life happened and I and I had a child. So this is kind of like a little um, replacement for that life I had seen for myself. And it's been Pretty cool. And, and what about you, Alicia?
0: I blame my grandmother. My mom's mom, Grammy, she was always reading crime novels, watching Matlock and Perry Mason. And that, of course, went on to my mother, who took it more towards Twilight Zone, Alfred Hitchcock, the TV show and movies. And so I kind of took it off of that and kind of a mix of loving horror films and I actually wanted to be a police officer and then go into criminology. And then I realized how much school that would take (laughs) and uniforms that would be. So I was like, "Mm, that's not for me. And um, yeah, as luck would have, it just kind of ended up here. So, yeah, there was kind of always an interest more so. For me, I've always found it so fascinating because I think murdering someone or harming someone is such an animalistic thing thing that humans still do. And so it's there's like a frightening fascination that that's still in everyone to some degree and some people act out on it. So that's part of where that interest came from, kind of the psychology. You know,
2: I think I think it's really interesting that when we were saying where this interest comes from, it, it comes from people in our family, you know, it's come from other family members who are interested in true crime.
0: Yeah. And especially women, because women, it's not just an interest in true crime. It can be something that saves us. I think a lot of, I, a lot of women especially watch true crime or listen to it and absorb it as a lesson or a warning or a trick of, oh, you could always, you know, hide your keys and your knuckles like this. You know, that's kind of where we pick up those tricks from.
1: What's interesting is my father also has some of the same interests. He's kind of the storyteller in my family. He loves getting everyone, you know, being the center of attention and getting everyone enthralled in one of his stories. And he's had a few instances in his life where, you know, someone he know uh, had a mysterious uh, death. And so I think I absorbed a lot of that as well. So between him and my mom and my grandmother, you know, there was no hope. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So how did, you know, you come up with the specific idea for your podcast? You know, where did, where did it come from? Because I know, you know, sometimes it just pops into your head that I want to cover this or, you know, what was it?
1: I think it's a great story, actually. So I've been obsessed with podcasts since, well, True Crime in particular, since Serial came out. And I just found myself binging anything I could listen to. And at one point I thought, you know, I could do this. I feel like I'd be pretty good at it. And Alicia and I do a lot of trips together. We've known each other for years now. Alicia, did you want to tell a little bit of that story?
0: Yeah. So we were driving. Emily has a drive that she does every couple of weeks. And I was like, yeah, I'll hop in the car and come with you. And she was playing, I, on the other hand, don't consume podcasts very regularly. And so we were listening and then we just kind of got to talking about it. And I jokingly said, you know what, there's so much crime in Portland, like such a history here in the Pacific Northwest with serial killers and all sorts of bizarre crimes I was like, we could get a party bus and do some sort of tour of weird Portland crimes or serial killer locations or something. And so we were kind of joking and I'm like, well, I don't know how we'd get people interested in it. We'd have to have a podcast. Har, har, har. And then about three months later, we launched our podcast.
1: Yeah. So it was really cool to see it just kind of come to fruition in a matter of weeks. Alicia knew our producer, Josh, and she put us in a group chat and said, Emily, talk to him. And it just happened. So it was really cool that it fell together.
0: Yeah, really lucky that we all were on the same page from the beginning. So it made it easy because working with three people can be really difficult when doing something mm-hmm. creative.
2: I was going to say, because obviously I'm a solo host, so I don't really know how it would feel to have to kind of coordinate with another host. And, you know, is that is that difficult? Is it hard to kind of? Sort Surprisingly
1: out? not, since we've got this friendship underneath it too there's a level of respect and I think we all just really rely on communication and I think all of us in general try to improve on our communication so it's been good so far there are definitely times where we have to like check each other and be like that's a great idea but are you Mm -hmm. sure (laughs) but what about you what got you interested in it Caprice? Serial exactly the
2: same um I think it's got a lot to answer for really because I think it's it started off a lot of people's careers in podcasting um I didn't listen to podcasts at all before Serial came out I didn't know anything about them to be honest Um, but my husband did listen to podcasts and he knew I was into true crime and he said you know there's this podcast you really need to listen to I think you'll I think you'll love it and I listened to it and then that was it I just couldn't stop then I was just finding all sorts of other podcasts found some UK podcasts that I loved and yeah I just couldn't stop listen, I'm the same. I, you know, do some writing kind of in my spare time. You know, my mum was a journalist. I kind of grew up with her writing. And I just thought, you know, I could do this because at the time there obviously is, you know, there were some big UK podcasts, but they, I wanted to focus on missing people, unsolved cases. And I thought, you know, there's a, a kind of a niche for it. So I just started writing some episodes. But if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but we'll give it a go. Um, and my husband had some knowledge of kind of producing. He'd done like uh, music tech, that kind of thing. Um, and so he sorted out all of the recording and everything and just put together an episode, put it out there. And that was four years ago.
1: So. That's so cool. What I love about your show, uh, you know, despite the the whole thing of it being unsolved and, and missing people, which is really cool, I think there's not enough of that. People focused on that. So I love that. But I just love how you really kind of set the stage of each case, like describe the people, the families, the location. I think that's really cool to kind of get the listener into a mindset of where they're at at the time of the
0: crime. It makes sense having a mom that was a journalist that you would kind of look at it through that lens of detail and extra information to be able to set the scene.
2: Mm, Research is my favorite. I think it's probably my favorite part of the writing, you know, finding all of that detail and and things like that. What what do you enjoy most? You know, because I know some podcasters say, oh, the recording and
0: editing is the bit I don't like the most. And, you know, which is your kind of favorite part? It's really hard to choose for me. I have recently started working on editing. That's usually our producer's job. And so learning how the editing works has been really fun and totally different. And it's actually helped how I deliver because I can hear it now or think, oh, that'd be really annoying to edit. And But I also love the delivery because that's kind of like the performance side, but then also the writing. I love writing, same as you, where I could just sit when I get in that zone and 20 pages later uh, have a story. And so I love kind of creating that and painting that picture. And just like you, I also love the research. They're all, every part's so different to me. You know, the research can be so exciting. You're like, oh yeah, okay. I think I have a general idea of this case. And it's so exciting when you're kind of going down that rabbit hole and then you hit something that totally takes you in a completely different trajectory and be like, wait, who's this character now? And this is a totally different thing. And they're related to this other crime. So that's always so exciting too. So I think that's part of what makes something that is like a really fancy hobby. I think it makes it that much more exciting to just have so many aspects to it that you can make your own.
1: For me, I love the research, always have, you know, that, when I was in college, that was my thing. I was always in the lab. But I love the outline and doing the, like, pre-production of how the case is going to unfold. You know, the writing, of course, it comes it comes naturally, but I love going back and revising it and where can I make it more interesting or where the listeners are going to go, ooh, what's next? Um, so I love that part. I don't touch the editing whatsoever, although I'm the first person to listen to a file to give notes. I don't want to do the editing.
2: <laughs> no, it's always the bit that you think, oh. I'm going to accidentally cut a bit out, or I'm going to do something wrong if I touch it. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Or it'll be late.
1: Forget to do it.
0: (laughs) Caprice, I wanted to jump back a little bit. I just recently ventured out into the comedy world with a solo podcast. Well, mostly solo. Again, Josh, our producer, is part of it, but it's just my thing. And it is so different feeling than working with Emily And kind of having a team It's really intimidating and just such a different vibe I'm curious for you when you were first branching out And it is just you Were you intimidated by that? Or how did you kind of find the confidence To be able to say my voice about these cases needs to be heard? It took a little bit It
2: took quite a few edits and quite a lot of recording And first of all, I just couldn't, I couldn't stand my voice I really couldn't stand <laughs> it And I listened to I think everyone says the same but I listened yeah. to it and I was like, this is this. Nobody's going to want to listen to this. It's terrible. But, you know, and I look back at those old episodes and they were terrible. Like the audio isn't fantastic. I mean, everybody, I think everyone feels like that. But I kind of put it out there and and people didn't hate it. So that kind of gave me some confidence. You know, nobody said that was that was awful. Um, and I just carried on, to be honest, just thinking, you know, it'll gain momentum. And you know, you always have that idea, don't you, that you're gonna you're gonna get loads of listeners overnight. And you know, it doesn't happen like that. But the four years later, you think they weren't that bad. You know, people enjoyed it. So I just kind of hoped for the best and you know, put it out there. And I think as I've gone on, I've obviously got more confident. And you 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 know your style after a while, don't you? But it's that thing of you don't get much feedback back so for you I imagine you can say what do you think about this episode what did you think of this bit that I said whereas for me it's putting it out there and hoping people like it I think that's the most difficult (laughs) bit of being a solo host but I don't mind because I do like you know researching it all writing it all myself so that's the bit I I do quite like about it.
1: Yeah, I'm sure
0: there yeah, are we, pros we, and cons to both.
1: Definitely. We do not really collaborate on our cases. So we we alternate who leads the case. The other typically doesn't know about it. So we're hearing it for the first time in recording, which I think is fun. I like that because you get a genuine reaction to things. And of course, it goes better when there are no flubs. So you don't have to rerecord something. Yeah, <laughs>
0: Luckily, I never mess up, so it makes it a lot easier. 100% perfection
1: at all times. (laughs) So we just make up the blooper reel at the end of our episodes. It's exhausting. (laughs) We have to try to mess up. Classic. So do you guys have one case that sticks out as something that you just can't stop thinking about? If you could solve it, you would, or something you, you look back on and think, gosh, if I was on the police force when they had that case open...
2: For me, it's it's not a case that I've covered because it's actually a solved case. But whenever anybody's kind of asked me this question, this case always pops up. There was a case literally from my hometown in Bury. and it was an eleven-year-old boy who was murdered by one of his classmates. Well, one of his schoolmates, the person who was actually convicted for it was about three years older than him. But it happened just round the corner from me, um, and I was about thirteen at the time. Um, the boy's name's Joe Geeling. And the schoolmate murdered him, hit him with a frying pan, um, stabbed him, put him in a wheelie bin and left him in the park, literally down the road from my house. And it was one of those cases that when you hear somebody say the whole town just didn't know what to do, genuinely that is what happened. And because I was that age... It was one of those things where my mum was like, you can't go out. You can't speak to anybody. You can't do this because this has happened to Joe Geeling. And he went to a school that was literally on the same road as my school. And the the funeral came past school. And it was just one of those cases that, yeah, you take with you. So whenever I think about when I'm doing cases, I always think about like Joe's parents and how awful that must have been. So when I'm covering cases, I always kind of think, what would the family think about what i'm kind of saying and and talking about that's one that definitely i always kind of think about and it kind of instructs how i then write my episodes if you know what i mean
0: emily what's that case for you
1: well i feel like there are so many now of course um you know, I have a similar, I was a bit older. I went to Oregon State University in Corvallis, Oregon. And when I was in college, a girl roughly my age was abducted from a parking lot of an apartment complex that she worked at. Her name is Brooke Wilberger. And the entire town got involved. There were grid searches. I mean, I feel like Hundreds of people I knew were involved uh, searching for her and it took years and finally they captured her murderer and found her body. But I think about it all the time. And when I drive by the area that she was abandoned in, it's just it's just very, very much affects me. But since then, the case recently that I think about daily is. Kimberly Kersey from Vancouver, Washington. We spoke to her sister about her disappearance in the 80s and I just I hurt for them. they are they'll never they just don't know what happened to her and we're waiting for somebody to come forward and and give a clue that could help us find, figure it out. And again, you know, I think about them and that was the first time I was talking to a family member on an episode where I thought, "Oh gosh, they're going to listen to this. I have to really think about what I'm writing." And Alicia and I talk about that a lot. We spoke to another podcaster from Dark Poutine, and he made that similar comment as you did, where it was, what if the family was listening? And I think that's something that we try to really hold close because it sometimes it is easy to get desensitized and just write out the facts of the case. But you have to imagine somebody who cares is listening. Alicia,
0: how about you? Is there a case that stuck with you? Definitely. Mine would be TT Gully, which um, she was murdered in... May of 2019, supposedly. She was found hanging in a tree and in a big park. It's called Rocky Butte in kind of in the center of Portland. And it was ruled a suicide at the scene, but she had not displayed any signs of being suicidal. And I think what really hits me with that case is while I share stories about Portland that make it sound like Maybe I don't love where I live. I love where I live. And I love a lot of (laughs) our ideals here. And Titi was a young Black transgendered woman. And her and her family moved from Kansas City, uh, which is further east and south from us, and came to Portland because Portland is so progressive and because they wanted Titi to be safe here. And there are witnesses from a homeless camp in the area that say, no, we watched her be murdered and the police right away closed the case, saying that it was suicide. Since then, almost two years now, there have been vigils and marches, and I've been able to go to most of them and interact with the family and just see this mother who, the first time I saw her, she was like, I've not left my house in a year because I I can't, the stress, I've had a heart attack from this. So there's just something about Portland was supposed to be the safe haven for this person and it ended up killing them and it's unsolved and it's messy and, and confusing and there's a, a petition out. So There's something about that one that stays with me. And that actually something I'm very proud of with having a podcast is that we've actually been picked up by our local news station. And every Tuesday we have a True Crime Tuesday segment where we get to talk about cases we've covered or missing persons or maybe some remains were found and they need them identified. And they've been so open to letting us do whatever that they let me cover that case. So even though it's kind of controversial because the police have it closed, but the family doesn't want it to be, they let us share that story. And that for me to be able to use my platform to share that story even more was something I'm incredibly proud of. And on that note, I'm curious for the two of you moments in your podcasting career that you're most proud of.
2: The things that I'm most proud of are my interactions with families of, you know, victims that have kind of reached out to me. And I think, you know, when we were talking about as a solo host, it's been lovely that when I've put those episodes out there, that families have got in touch and said, thank you for, for covering the case, because a lot of the cases that I cover, they are older You know, they might be 30, 40 years old, and the only coverage that they've got over the years are the 10-year anniversary, 20-year anniversary, and the times just got away. Or in some of them, they've literally had two lines in a newspaper throughout the whole time. So when families have reached out and said, you know, thank you, it's really helpful, you know, even though we, we don't know they're going to be solved, you know, they're so old they might not be. But thank you for trying. And I think for me, that's probably what I'm most proud of, because, you know, for them, that's the most important thing, keeping their family members like memory alive and and their case. So I think in a similar way, I'm really proud that the podcast can do that for somebody.
1: I feel I feel similarly. Uh, I mentioned Kimberly Kersey and her sister, Kristen, and I had a wonderful chat. And she ended it with thanking us for covering the case, since it is rather old, and just keeping that name out there. And then COIN, allowing us, COIN News, allowing us to continue talking about these cases so people don't forget these names. Recently, I've branched out, and I'm actually quite proud of myself. I started a TikTok. And what that's allowed me to do is not only get more people listening to our podcast because they are very much interested in the cases we cover, but I can cover them all over the world. I don't have to just stick to Pacific Northwest. And I feel like I'm reaching a younger generation who care about these missing people and can share the videos out to their friends. So it's been very satisfying to see people interested in it and joining my page. And I I'm excited to see how that impacts the podcast. I recently covered just a little news case in Colorado about a, a woman who had been doing drugs and she had her two children and they were out in the cold and She's being charged for neglect that led to her child dying because they they had terrible frostbite. And people from that town wrote me on there and said, I had no idea this happened and I live here. So that it just goes to show that sometimes the media isn't really pushing a lot of this information. And and look how TikTok can just quickly get it out there.
0: Caprice, you had mentioned about finding stories that only have one or two lines. And I've been in that same struggle. I'm curious, kind of the flip side of what we've been on, what are those moments that are the hardest for you guys? I know for me, that definitely touched on it, where you find a case and it's super interesting or they just need some information. And so if you could share it, it might help solve, but there's kind of not a place for it. I mean, that's another thing TikTok's great for, those two line stories, but finding cases that just aren't quite a podcast worth is it can be so frustrating for me because then you're looking at these people's stories and their lives as a commodity, basically. And that gets difficult for me. I'm curious with this process that we all do, what you guys find to be the hardest, whether it's finding the information or just being in that mental state of being in true crime while doing all that research.
2: I think it is difficult when you can't find the information and it's frustrating because you want to tell these people's stories but quite often, if it hasn't been picked up by the media in the beginning there isn't anything to kind of go on and quite often in my cases there isn't. I mean, I do quite a few kind of series about unidentified people. They're the ones that really get no attention because there there isn't any information to go on. You might just have an age, an area that they were found in so for me, you know, I've in the past kind of put together several unidentified people from that area just to try and put it together as an episode and tell their stories. And I'm always so surprised because actually they're the episodes that do really well. People really enjoy just hearing about these people and trying to help and going on the website, looking at the pictures. But that is always the hardest bit. But I think people surprise you because even though they might be limited information, they still want to help and they want to listen and and engage with you. So I think that's really good. What do you find the most difficult?
1: Alicia and I both recently have gotten into that a bit too, where the case, the information is not a lot. There's not a lot out there. We're looking through everything we can find, police reports, court documents, whatever there may be. Uh, But sometimes there's not enough. So I've had to get creative a few times. I'll go check out Reddit. There are an amazing amount of people who really care about remains that are found. And well, here's a list of 20 people in this state that possibly fit within that height range or, you know, and and they try and I've really enjoyed that. And what's cool with our segment on the news and Patreon is I feel like there's a space for that now. We can do a little bite-sized version of an episode or we can do a TikTok or we can put it on the news um, to try to get more information. So I feel like more and more, the longer we do this, we're, we're making our own spaces for that stuff, which is cool. But we we also do like to do the anthology style, put smaller cases together in a one episode so we can discuss those important cases. Because even if there's not a lot of info out there, we want to make sure that person isn't forgotten. You know, some for me, it's time. I have a full time job and... Today, I took took a day off just so I could write. Sometimes that like, gets hard when, you know, you just want to watch Netflix or something, but I, I got to keep myself motivated for the thing that I'm passionate about, which is, you know, true crime.
2: I feel exactly the same way at the moment. Um, you know, I had my daughter in September, so I'm currently, you know, on maternity leave, but you get absolutely no time to yourself. I had planned in advance for the podcast. I'd done, you know, a substantial amount of episodes, but they just slowly, time just gets away from you. Um, So that's something I'm definitely I agree with. I'm finding difficult at the moment, trying to fit in doing that and dealing with the baby and, you know, COVID situation and everything going
0: on. So I understand that. Well, I'm laid off and have no children. So I, too, very much struggle with time management. (laughs) Remembering to wake up and work. Setting an alarm. (laughs) You have a lot going on,
1: two podcasts, you know, reading, you're reading for your next episode. You know, I wish you
0: would stop being so like shocked yes. and impressed by that. Yes, I'm reading <laughs> multiple books. How dare you call me out in public like this? My goodness gracious. I thought that's what we're here for, to let people get to know us. Surprise, <laughs> it's a roast.
1: Caprice, do you have a book or a crime, true crime series or documentary that you really love?
2: Well, I think like a lot of people, I absolutely was engrossed and fascinated by Making a Murderer, and I still am. I just thought as a series, it was really just fascinating and sad. And there were so many things that were brought up that I just... You know, couldn't believe everything with Brendan Dassey and his confession and everything. That is one series that I could just
0: watch and watch. I have a cultural question for you. Do you watch that and think, oh my God, what is wrong with America? Because I know I do and I'm here. (laughs) Do you watch that and (laughs) think like that is so foreign and bizarre and what are they doing?
2: I suppose in a way, but there are, you know, there are lots of things here that go wrong as well so I can kind of understand that but I I just couldn't understand how Brendan was treated specifically I mean obviously Stephen Avery wasn't treated well either um but just everything that went on with keeping him for that Brendan Dassey for that long interviewing for that long and you know it just breaks my heart every time he says you know can I go now can I go home now Mm. can I do you know he genuinely thought he was going home at the end of that interview and it just is so sad
1: Mine is definitely Paradise Lost, which is mm. the story of the West Memphis Three. There's been a couple of iterations because there have been so many updates, but I found that one to be just so utterly sad. And like you just said, Alicia, like it points out the flaws in our country, and you know everything from just stereotyping and um, you know being a bigot, and it, it's just it was hard. And it's been cool to see the people rally behind them, mm-hmm. but. Gosh, I I can't imagine your entire town turning against you and blaming you for something you didn't do. Um, I listen to podcasts far more than I watch documentaries. I I actually, TV, I watch like The Office and Gilmore Girls, and that's about it. But Hunting Warhead has been my podcast. I love that podcast. I think it was excellent format, props to that show. I have listened to it twice already. Yeah, I mean, I'm always looking for my next fix. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm.
0: My case that I, you know, nationwide or worldwide case that I will consume anything in regards to is Susan Powell. She was the young woman that went missing when she went camping. I'm holding air quotes, went camping with her husband in the middle of a blizzard in the (laughs) middle of the night in Utah. And there's there are so many elements to that story from her going missing to his story and then his father, who was a sexual predator And then him killing himself and his own children. There are just so many layers to it and that it's still unsolved. While I enjoy unsolved things, I also hate it because I'm like, no, I need an answer, please. And there's something about that when it feels like the answer is just so close that it's just out of reach. And it has been for all these years. And there's that Pacific Northwest connection with the dad and where they ended up living in the end. So there's just something about all of that and how it's this big family thing that I've read the books on it. I've watched documentaries on HLN and on ID Channel and anywhere else that I can get it to find out because it's just so interesting. It's one of those where it's like, let's just go out into the Utah desert and just look around and dig and try to like it just seems like the answer is right there and that's what keeps that one kind of always on my mind.
2: Thinking about cases like that, you know, thinking about unsolved cases that you think a podcast or coverage could help with. For me, that's the disappearance of Claudia Lawrence, here in the UK in York. Um, you know, she came back from work one day and then possibly went to work, we're not sure, and just disappeared into thin air. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when things like that happen, you're just like, I don't, you know, know how that can can be, you know, and Mm -hmm. the police have kind of alluded to the fact that they know who's done it, but this person won't come forward and they clearly can't find the evidence and that's so frustrating. That
1: has been one of the hardest things to really, the pill to swallow kind of a situation with, with the shows we do. I get so frustrated when it's like everyone knows
0: who did it, but they have no evidence to prove it. Mm -hmm. And it's very, very hard to sit with. Caprice, when you mentioned that story, how she just disappeared, I think about that a lot. I think especially because our show is so focused on our area. I mean, we've done stories within Mm -hmm. half a mile of my own house. And there's something about hearing these stories where someone's loved one is either murdered or just vanishes. And I think Mm -hmm. about that. I try to think about that when I'm interacting with people, whether it's the grocery store or picking up food or whatever it is, to just think those people that have that murdered family member or that missing family member they just have to get back to life they're just out in there's not like some special relaxation island where they're being treated you know where they can just focus their life on on finding their loved one and they're treated with care and you know they don't have to worry about bills or a job and that's not the case they have to get back out there and live life And Mm -hmm. so I try to think of that to think, hey, this person may be coming off. However, that might be something they're just carrying with them. It might be from two years ago. It might be from 20 years ago. It's still Mm -hmm. there. We talked to a family member last year in regards to a totally different case. We found out later that he was related to a different case we had covered. And he didn't even talk about his brother who had died. He hinted at it and he started getting choked up. And this was in Mm -hmm. 19... 59, I think, or 1960, that his brother was killed. And he couldn't even hint at it. So, that I think has definitely given me a perspective of handling people with care and understanding mm-hmm. and thinking you don't know if this person has a loved one that's had something happen to them.
1: Also with the topic of people just disappearing, it's true, like I feel like I look at people more and look at car license plates more and just what if somebody disappears and you're the last person who was the witness to them being there?
2: I feel the same. Um, I don't know whether you listen to The Vanished. I listen to that and I just, every story is completely, you know, I'm always struck by it. Every story is completely different every missing person story is different and you know there's there's different things that come up you know you don't know that you might not know where they've gone or you might know where they've gone but then they just disappeared after that and there's just so many things you have to think about and it's this idea that somebody just vanishes and disappears into thin air is just incredible it's just it's it's terrible but you know also what has happened to them you know where where have they gone It, it is it's it's
0: it's really sad. I'm not sure how you focus on those cases because I can't because it just makes me feel like I'm going crazy. Like I know. We have to mix it up it, and have a lot of solves. It, <laughs> it, it really, and this isn't to diminish it, but in the same realm, it's almost like a magic trick to me. Like, I don't like magic because I want to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And when I hear a missing pr- it's like, no, I need to understand what How? Happened? What do you mean? Yeah. And and going back to what we said about women consuming true crime, it's that to me is extra scary because there isn't. It's not. There's no lesson to be learned. There's no danger that occurred that I can take and go. Okay, I can. I can not do that for myself. There's mm-hmm. nothing. It's just gone. And that is so it's like overwhelming. It's an overwhelming thought for me.
1: Caprice, since you've started your show, have have any of your cases had a new update or have been solved? Some of them have had
2: reviews opened up and new investigations. There has been a couple of unidentified people who have been there. You know, their identities have been found, which is That's great. good. Wow. Um, but. but Unfortunately, no, there's quite a vast majority of them that that haven't, you know, I've done nearly 150 episodes, and there's probably a handful. But it's, I think that's the thing. I think that's why people stop covering them, because there isn't that smoking gun, which can solve it. You know, there isn't the CCTV, there isn't the forensics. Um, And I think that's that's the sad thing. I think that's why the media don't pick it up as much. It doesn't get as much attention. But when I have spoken to families, for instance, you know, there are some cases where they tell you, well, actually, there is this evidence, but the police haven't done anything with it. And that's a really sad thing as well. You know, to the public, it looks like there's no information, no evidence. But actually, in the background, there is some, but either they can't do anything with it, or they just haven't bothered over the years. So I have found that to be the case as well.
1: So frustrating. So, All right. So changing the subject, I have to ask, who? what other podcasts are you excited to meet at CrimeCon in September? Oh, everybody, to be honest. I I'm know. Just- <laughs> <laughs> I, I am dying to meet True Crime Garage, though. They're one of the first podcasts I ever listened to that covered multiple cases in a season. Um, I was, I'm much more of a serial podcast type. I like an a t- case coverage, you know, really in-depth reporter style, but I just loved their format and their banter. And so it will be really cool to meet them in person.
2: I'm looking forward to meeting quite a few of the, obviously the U S and, you know, people from overseas podcasters, cause it's not really something that you can do quite, you know, very easily you know, I've met some of the UK podcasters that are going to be there. So I'm quite looking forward to meeting, you know, new people from different places as well.
1: Who have you met already?
2: I went to a meetup for They Walk Among Us. They were obviously there. Um, Generation Y were there. True Crime Enthusiast. Men's Ria. Oh,
1: I like her. I listen to her.
2: Yeah, there was quite so there was a few. So that was nice. So I do know some people, which is quite nice when you're by yourself. Um, you do already know some people when you get there. But have you met any of them before? Or
1: actually not as many. I think Alicia's met more than than I because I couldn't go on our last trip. Yeah, we went to the Forensic
0: Files 2 premiere in New York last year, right before everything shut down, and we got to meet um three, three spooked spooked girls, girls. Mm-hmm. and uh Generation Y was there as well. Forensic Miles, so quite a few. I'm excited. I mean, podcast fans, other podcasters. Literally any people. Two reasons. One, we love people. I've not, <laughs> I've not seen people in over a year now, so I'm excited <laughs> for people. Two that will be exciting. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> podcasting can be such an isolating feeling thing. It's it's yeah. not something tangible, so sometimes it's hard to remember everything you've created. Because you just kind of hold it in your hand like a dandelion and just blow it into the air and hope that it <laughs> yeah. lands in someone's oh. ears. So to be able to be with other people to not only feel like you're not alone, but just to know like, wow, there is this whole actual world. It's not just digital. These are these other people and we can really cultivate real relationships with them and all understand where everyone's coming from because this is a weird thing that we do and not everyone gets it. So I'm very excited to literally talk to any people that will talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) It is
2: nice that the idea that you can meet people in real life because you do feel a bit detached sometimes, don't you? When you're just kind of talking to a microphone. So it is nice to be able to actually see people.
1: But also I want to validate that I'm like, this person would be my friend if I met them in real life.
0: (laughs) I just need to be sure I'm going to be very popular. Thank you. (laughs) No, I just, I
1: love... Wine and crime. And I just, I know if I sat with them at a bar, we would be the best of friends. I know it. (laughs) Hang out with me, guys.
2: We're going to be friends. I think there is the idea that you listen to podcasts so often that the hosts are kind of part of your life, aren't they?
0: Yeah. and And it feels so strange on the other side of that. Because we'll get messages or something and people will write us maybe, so at the end of our show we have bloopers and they might write something about the blooper or something and they're writing it from the perspective of how we feel as listeners, you know, like, oh hey, Mm. this joke and I'm kind of in in on this joke Mm. and you kind of forget that there were Other people in the room, if that makes sense. Like, oh, I did make that joke. Oh, and you know that, but I can't really respond to you directly. Like like in a conversation, you're just hearing it and engaging. So it's kind of this like, I don't know, it's such a fascinating mindset, in my opinion, of how we put it out and then it's received by people.
1: And we're taking a big guess that people want to hear it. And so it is nice when we do, you know, speak to listeners and they're like, oh, man, I love the bloopers. It feels like, oh, OK, <laughs> we're doing OK. We're not just being mm-hmm. weirdos. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Says yeah. the girl who said she'd give a T-shirt to anyone that asks for a body autograph at Crime Cryo- <laughs> UK. We don't want to seem weird, but we will give you a shirt if we can sign you Hey,
1: we're from Portland. We're OK to be weird. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Fresh out of quarantine off of a plane in a new country. Hi, guys. Well, <laughs> we have very strong social skills now. I think
2: it, I think everyone's going to feel the same way, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. So oh, just for be sure. Happy to be out and free. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It will be a love fest, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it be a good time. So if you had to give a piece of advice to someone listening who is interested in starting a true crime podcast, what would it be?
2: Mine would be make sure you record enough before you start out because that was one of my mistakes um you know I'd had all these cases but I'd only written I'd only recorded a few before I then released the podcast and then I was just on complete like backpedaling trying to get them out because at the time I was releasing every week Mm. so I think don't underestimate the workload of a podcast Mm. because it is it is hard going sometimes and also I think it's don't be afraid of the true crime community because they're really friendly and welcoming you know ever ever since i started the podcast you know people were there to help and you know if you if you need anything just to ask people because they're all they're all there to help so that would yeah. definitely be another tip you know reach out to people because they they will know something that you need the answer to what are your tips
1: i'd say veer away from uh, an alcohol themed show it's super <laughs> saturated uh <laughs> As much as I, you know, there are a few that I love, I just, I, can't, I don't think I could take another one to be totally honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but but despite that, just having a, a solid decision on a format and play to your strengths and, and make sure that you know, your passion's going to carry you through whether someone likes you or not, there's going to be people who do and mm-hmm. they see your passion and they like what you're putting out there. Um, and it can be hard as a, as a human to read some of the negative reviews that I think we've all read at some point and not let that get you down. Cause those voices are so loud, mm-hmm. but to remember that for every one bad review, there's like a thousand people who like you and want to hear what you have to say. So really, even if you want to have an alcohol-themed show, as long as you're passionate about it, people will like it. (laughs) That's something
2: that I think as well. I think people can get quite bogged down by the bad reviews, and sometimes that does put people off carrying on. You know, and we've all had one star reviews that make absolutely no sense.
1: Yep. And sometimes
2: they don't even refer to your podcast yep. episode that you've ever done. Um, so you just have to kind of take you just have to ignore it and move on. I think.
1: <laughs> that's so true. We got one where they were referencing to a male and a female host with names. I'm
0: like, this is not our show. <laughs> yeah.
2: I think it's like a rite of passage. Yeah, you that's that. when you know you've
0: made it a wrong review. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I would suggest to people that are interested in starting any podcast, True Crime or otherwise, just because you listen to podcasts doesn't mean you can just walk in and do it. It's kind of like saying you've made a cookie so you can make a tiramisu. There's Mm -hmm. so much more to it than just that, like what you said, the amount of work. But I think not only that, it's about stepping back. Like when we all started out, it was really like. From the get-go, we were all on the same page of this. It will eventually be our job. We are working and putting all the energy and passion into this to make this one of the top podcasts. In the world. Like that is our goal. There's every time we hit a a milestone, we celebrate and then we look at the next thing and go, what's next? Because that's what we want for us. I think it's important if you're interested in doing a true crime podcast to say, what is this podcast going to be for me? Is this a casual hobby and I'm doing it because I love writing or I love researching and I just want to talk and I'll just release it whenever and it's casual? That is totally fine. You're not less of a podcast for that. But you also have to recognize what kind of results that's going to get, which will be minimal listens and take a long time to get sponsors and that kind of thing. On the flip side, if you are saying this is going to be my job, I'm going to make money doing this, then you have to do the same thing to say, OK, what does that mean? That means I'm paying for artwork. I'm making sure I release every single day that I'm saying is a release day. I'm never missing. I'm yep every day I'm on social media, reaching out to people, I'm emailing people, I'm hustle, 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 hustle. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it, it is, it's the amount, what you put into it is what you'll get back. Thank you so much for listening to this special episode. We are going to be at CrimeCon in London on September 25th and 26th. If you would like to join us, tickets are on sale now. Please go to CrimeCon.co.uk and use the ticket code Rain to get 10% off.